Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the show. That's right. Here we are. You know what? Noon comes so quickly on Sundays, but you know what? Favorite time of the week. I get to talk to you about all sorts of interesting things in the world of real estate. And of course, I will be joined by some guests this week. I've got Romana King. She is an award-winning personal finance columnist and director of content at Zolo. Uh, you've heard Romana here over the years with me. She's always been a panelist with the Real Estate Talk Triangle a few years ago. And every once in a while, she pops up. She's on the West Coast. So we're going to talk about what's going on there and you know, get a little bit of feedback on what she thinks about the market. I also have uh, Joseph Bielioski, and he's going to be joining me from Diamond and Diamond. Uh, he's a real estate lawyer. We're going to talk about what is going on with transactional real estate. Is it getting a little bit easier because of technology? So he's going to be joining me and our fan favorite, that's right, Dave Butler from BM Select Butler Mortgage. He's going to be joining me and uh, Dave and I are going to be talking about what the market's looking like right now. Are we? Uh, are, are the headlines right? Are we seeing a little bit of a downturn? or is it just a seasonal thing? So lots to talk about today and I'm really excited about it. But uh, you know what? A little shameless plug. If uh, if you have not uh, caught up with our webinars, go to thesimpleinvestor.com. You can find out about our latest release and what is going on with us. Um, one bedroom units, 269.9 uh, in London, 750 square feet. Uh, incredible thing, guaranteed rent, no cost of doing any repairs whatsoever. You never have to deal with the tenant. We take care of absolutely everything and you have positive cash flow every single month with only 20% down. Um, big thing about it, cost only $80 a month to have this incredible value. So uh, go to thesimpleinvestor.com. You can find out more or you can follow follow me on the Simple Investor one on Instagram. But it was interesting because, you know, I was out at a dinner party, um, you know, socially distanced outside. But, um, you know, somebody asked me and I found it to be an interesting question. And I just thought I'd kind of throw it out there to, to let people know where we're actually coming from with The Simple Investor. And it was, they asked me uh, if I was going to bring our, our, our company public. And, you know, that's an interesting question because, you know, whenever you hear about private companies going public, I always think of it as a big cash grab. And, you know, I, first and foremost, I, I, I don't do this for money. You know, yes, the company makes money and I make money, but <clears throat> we don't do it because of money. We do it because we like doing it. And, you know, I'm very passionate about real estate. But more importantly, you know, the big thing about publicly traded companies is that you start having to you know, be able to react to everybody and people want to know the bottom line right down to the finite number. And, you know, the reason why I have never considered going public is the fact that, you know, it would control us too much to do what we've always promised and committed to our investor base. You know, it's amazing because I don't know if a lot of people realize that with, with our program, if your unit, when the tenant moves out, needs, you know, $15,000 worth of repairs, um, we actually do it and, and there's no cost to you. There, there, there's no catch to this. You know, a lot of people say it's too good to be true. And, and you know, we get to make that decision. We can turn around and say, look at, no, the investor, the investor bought this property. We've been managing it. The, the, the unit got trashed by a tenant. That's our problem, not yours. And so for us, it's all about, you know, keeping the relationship and making sure everybody is taken care of and making sure we can move this thing forward. So, you know, we will bear that cost. And, you know, when you start talking about a publicly traded company, 
that would take that power away from us for being able to do that because everybody then starts focusing on the only thing that to them matters is the bottom line and it's really not about that this is about creating generational wealth this is creating security for people and so our program for the last uh, 12 years no investors ever had to pay a dime and you know what i'd rather stay a private company and making sure our staff are able to take care of our investors the way they should the way we committed to from day one so for those of you, if you think you're going to find the simple investor on the stock exchange, sorry, it won't be us because that's never going to happen. You know what? We'd rather exercise the control and make sure that we're taking care of our investors. So, you know, that's that's my little spiel on that. I um, I just thought I'd share that with you because I thought I thought it was a very interesting question, and a lot of people get nervous. You know, when a company starts to grow and starts doing, you know, more and more developments, they're they're worried that perhaps we're going to lose what made us us, and uh, just not going to happen. You know what? We're always going to be the people we are and by, like I said if you uh, if you go to simpleinvestor.com you can watch a few of my videos they're they're pretty straightforward I like to you know help educate people get a better understanding about investment real estate it is one of the best things you could ever do for you and your family so I will encourage people to do it every day even if it's not with us I would still encourage you to own investment real estate in your future but I do want to talk about something really important uh, obviously that happened this week and Mr. Trudeau calling a snap election. Now I am not going to sway anybody with any party affiliation whatsoever. I just want to, you know, go after the facts first and foremost. Um, really, do we need an election right now? Like we're barely struggling out of this COVID situation. Kids are going back to school. I think it's completely irresponsible. And again, you know what? That this is just my opinion. Uh, it, it's not necessarily based on facts, but I do want to talk about real estate and how the impact of an election like this can have on real estate and some of the commitments or promises that politicians typically make because they're trying to sway a vote. And this was what we saw in the last election. In fact, if we all remember, just before the last election, the the Liberal government decided to throw out a Hail Mary to first-time home buyers and say that if you bought brand new uh, condominium or you know at a certain price point they would give you 10% of the purchase price and they would be your partner and you know they think I think they thought this was a Hail Mary because they could get all the first-time homebuyer votes and if you bought a resale home you know what they give you 5% of it but again they would be sharing title with you well you know what it was a big fat zero it went nowhere and I want to thank everybody that actually saw it for what it was it was just a campaign tactic that blew up in their face and quite frankly I don't know one mortgage specialist that has ever told me that anybody took the government up on this program in fact it did fall flat when you think of how many buyers we've got out there I think they only had in the hundreds take up on this and we're talking hundreds of thousands of people trying to buy homes and only they, it was in the hundreds so you know what epic fail so then what happens when we start taking a look at these campaign promises you know and I do want to address a couple of the parties and again I'm not going to tell you which one I am pro for um, you know most people would know you know what I like about um, about you know real estate and everything else and you know 
it, it almost made me want to say, look, maybe I should throw my hat in the ring, um, you know, and actually run for some kind of governmental position. And then I thought to myself, now, why would I do that? Because that would turn me into a puppet and I don't want to be a puppet. And so looking at some of these some of these promises. So I just want to start off with the NDP. You know, they're throwing out the idea that they believe that they're going to build 500,000 homes and make housing affordable for Canadians, including rental prices. You know, they want to turn around and they, you know, they do note the fact that, you know, we're running at about, call it 35% of Canadians are renters, and we're going to have a huge immigration uh, policy that's opening up and we're going to see more immigrants come in. So guess what? They're going to be renters. So that number is going to continue to go up. I think, you know what, we're going to get to the point where 40% of all Canadians are going to be renters. So they're trying to entice people here by saying, look, look at us, look at us. We're going to build 500,000 affordable houses. Okay, I'm going to get back to this in a second because, you know, I'm just doing my little bit of a build up here. Aaron O'Toole, of course, he's thrown into this same thing, saying that he believes that they're going to be able to build also affordable housing. And you know what, when, t- when we take a look at the numbers, you know, some of them are saying up to 1 million homes that they're going to be able to do. So now the interesting thing is that the Conservative government, I think, may have a better approach because they're going to revitalize buildings. So they're going to take existing. So they want to take a look at some of these federally owned buildings. And what they're going to do is they're going to convert the office space into housing. Now, I don't disagree with the approach. What I disagree with is the number. You know, it's a lot easier for them, by the way, to renovate than it is to build brand new. So we've got the NDP saying build brand new. We've got the Conservative government saying renovate. So again, I think structure in place, it's a heck of a lot easier for us to get the end result. It's going to be a lot faster. That I know for sure. It will be quicker. But anybody that starts talking in these numbers, you know what? They are not into construction or contracting. I can tell you that based on even here in the city, you know, as much as Mayor Tory, you know, had wanted to work with Toronto Community Housing and get that ball moving forward, you know, it's a slow process. In fact, that number is unbelievably low that we're getting to be put back into the market because they just, when you deal with government construction, everything else, we know it is by far the slowest process. You have one worker, five people watching him to make sure he's doing it right. We can't do it this way, okay? And when government starts getting involved in this, then I think they need to change the way they give their campaign promises. What these, what some of these officials and some of these people, candidates, are looking at, they need the private sector to step in. We've got companies out there that could actually meet these demands, but without actually utilizing the private sector, they're never going to come close to these campaign promises, and that's all they are. They will have no validity in the future, and all of us will be sitting there saying, you decided, you told us you were going to do this, and it won't happen. So when real estate comes into play here, you know, this is where I get a little bit concerned. It's not going, this is going to be just empty promises. As the, as the Liberal government has done a, you know, a lengthy study taking a look at what about capital gains on your primary residence? So I think everybody should be very mindful. It was something that was brought up before the last election. They squashed the memo, and now we're sitting on potentially something that could happen. So depending on what government in, it goes into play, we could actually look at capital gains on our primary residence. This is 100% 
non-acceptable, okay? And I think that the only way we can control that is by you voting. So again, uh, I just thought I'd give you my rant, real estate political style of it. Um, I know it's a little bit long, but that is just the facts. But you know what? Somebody that has great facts that's going to be joining me, Romana King, she's going to be joining me right after the break. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, my next guest, she is no stranger to the show. Uh, She's joined me for years, been part of our real estate talk triangle, taking a little bit of a sabbatical from that, but still, you know, pops in once in a while to share uh, with us her experience on the West Coast. I am joined by Romana King, and she is an award-winning personal finance columnist and a director of content at Zolo. And uh, Romana, welcome back to the show. Great to be here. You know, I think one thing I didn't throw into your introduction is the fact that you are actually an author and you're coming out with a new book. Do you want to, uh, before you and I get into the nitty gritty, can you share it with us? Yeah. I mean, in a nutshell, it's the handbook for smart home ownership. It just uh, helps anyone that's bought a home, is about to buy a home, to just make smarter, better decisions about what to do with their home. And not just from a, a you know sort of pragmatic point of view, you know, how do I maintain my home and how do I, you know, reduce those monthly expenses? But it helps us look at the home as part of our asset building nest egg. You know, a lot of people are given a lot of flack about the idea that they shouldn't buy in a hot market and yet they have this high value asset. I try and sort of break down, remove the shame and the blame and just help people figure out how to make smart decisions. Awesome. And when is it going to come out? It's coming out uh, mid-November of this year. Just in time for Christmas, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I do want to talk about the West Coast. I do want to know what is going on in the market. And then you and I are going to have some fun today because there's lots for us to talk about. But how is the West Coast doing right now in the real estate market? Well, I mean, we are seeing a slowdown. I don't think this is a surprise to anyone across the country. But everything is relative. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually starting all of my, my responses to just about every question now with, you know, we're still not in a state of normal. There, there still hasn't been a return to normal. Um, there's still, it's still quite uncertain about what's going to happen. And so I, I, the reason why I preface that is we're looking at these statistics, we're doing a year-over-year comparison, and the first thing we have to realize is that 2020 was an absolutely abnormal year in real estate market terms. And as a result, 2021 results are going to look skewed um, and, and, and different. So we are slowing down, you know, but to put it in perspective, July 2020 was a very hot month. We saw the run up and we were all very surprised that it sort of lasted throughout all of 2020. Um, and we're, you know, about six, just a little over six and about 6.3% uh, above the sold uh, data in t- July 2020. That's where we're at sitting in July 2021 for the greater Vancouver area. Right. Now, you know, the one thing, of course, we watched in the last year was the price run-ups. And, you know, you and I have talked, obviously, since. And we, we did see Vancouver have a huge bounce back because they did, they did kind of bottom out there, you know, 2019. Are you, uh, are you still seeing pressure on the prices? Or are we seeing, you know, um, you know a slight uh, decline at all? Yeah, yes, we bottomed out is probably a good way of putting it. Um, you know, bottoming out in March 2021 was the, the absolute bottom, but we certainly, you know, dropped. We've dropped quite a bit since the, sort of the peak of this spring, the spring of 2021. Um, there isn't such a, you know, the price pressure. 
I think people did panic a little bit in the spring of this year. You know, they just saw these run-ups all throughout 2020. And in the spring of 2021, when more inventory hit the market, and more is a relative term, they were still across Canada, but in Greater Vancouver, relatively slim pickings. You know, the inventory was low in most markets. Uh, but there was a huge, still a huge pent-up demand by buyers, and as a result, there was a huge run-up in prices. You know, we were we were watching houses listed for one and a half million going over, over for of half a million, right? Like it, it was just insane. Um, and that's calmed down quite a bit uh, as we go through July. A lot of factors involved in there: um, the threat of higher rates, high high prices, uh, and just summer heat and forest fires. I mean, a, a lot has are 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 perspective and our attention has been drawn elsewhere, right? And that's also in the economy, even if we're not looking at the day-to-day life. Uh, the economy has also drawn our attention with, with the rate of inflation going up the highest in July, you know, in the last decade. So yeah. the market has certainly slowed, and it's definitely a cyclical slow. We know that it's going to slow in, in, in the summer months. It'll be interesting to see what happens in September, particularly with this idea that rates are going to rise. You know, one of, the, one of the things that we are experiencing here in the GTA, and I thought I'd check in with you, is the fact that the rental market is having a big bounce back. In fact, we are actually seeing multiple offers in some of the rental market. And I was wondering if you're experiencing the same thing on the West Coast. Interesting. I, I mean, I'm not entirely surprised. I think that when we have these sort of observations of the market, oh, the rental market has dropped out, we tend to think that, you know, it, it's um, a long-lasting result or a longer timeline. And I, I think what the last, I would say what the last five years has proven in real estate, in all areas of real estate, commercial, residential, rental, is that the market is, is actually far more fluid uh, and almost liquid than, than we realize. So money pulls in, money pulls out quite quickly in these markets, whereas I think, you know, in decades past, that hasn't been the case. Um, the rental market in Vancouver didn't necessarily have the same impact. We we had different measures put into place. Um, there there wasn't as many renovations. I'm not saying there weren't any, but there weren't as many. I think statistically speaking, uh, and we've also had a vacancy tax in you know the greater Vancouver area for much longer. So it kind of weeded out those uh, empty spots, the opportunistic spots, relatively quickly. So we didn't have so the vacancy rate issues that, say, Toronto has had and experienced, particularly with short-term rentals, I think you experienced a, a weird sort of glut there where you had no checks and balances for short-term rentals. The pandemic hit. Suddenly you had landlords that needed to make rent, um, needed to make mortgage, you know, flooded the market. That flooded the rental market, and we had, you know, uh, lots of supply, and all of a sudden the supply is drying up because people are starting to feel a bit better and wanting, you know, to find a, a better home now. And now the supply is starting to do it all. So it doesn't surprise me you guys are going into, you know, bidding wars for good rental properties. Um, we're not really seeing that in the greater Vancouver area. Yeah, and we're, we're, we're starting to see the return of some of the foreign students and the students in general. So, you know, one of the yeah. things, uh, we are eating up some of that excess uh, inventory that we had in the rental market. You know, I would, uh, I, I definitely want to get your, your take on the call of the election. Again, we, you know, we don't have to worry about party affiliations, but, you know, we've always had that underlying threat that the Liberals have considered a, a, a capital gains tax in primary residence. Um, you know, the concern would be if they have a majority, that may actually happen. To put it in context, the Liberals have definitely put money towards studying this. Um, they're not the first government, but they are definitely the government that's put the most amount of money 
but it's not the only um, option in real estate um, that they've looked at to try and figure out affordability. Uh, tax and capital gains on a, on a, a primary residence, on a principal residence, that is a very, very dicey political move for any party. And uh, you really need to feel like you've got solid, solid footing uh, and a long timeline to let people calm down on that. And, and you know, with a snap election uh, asking for another four-year mandate, majority mandate, you know, maybe they will fill that. So, yes, there is a concern and there's going to be uncertainty. And that uncertainty is going to, to be felt in the marketplace. And it's a tough time, you know, for the marketplace to be feeling uncertain about one of its financial pillars. So, whether or not the liberals get into into power, it's just a run-up to the election that's going to provide some uncertainty. So as a result, I mean, you're asking, you know, what's the impact? I think the initial impact or the immediate impact is we're going to feel uncertainty, and that's going to be felt in the, the, the residential and all real estate marketplaces in Canada, uh, and that's going to feel like a pause. It's, it, you're not, I don't think we're going to have a very strong, strong fall run-up in residential resale sales. Um, new builds are on their own, you know, sort of stable trajectory, but I don't think they're going to make any massive um, commitments in financing until they understand who's in power and what, what the, the lay of the land will be. Yeah, well, that's a great take. So um, one more time, um, if you can tell us what the name of your book and when it's coming out, because I definitely want our listeners to be able to get a copy of it. So the book is uh, House Poor No More, uh, Nine Steps to uh, Help You Grow Your Home's Value and Your Net Worth. Uh, it's coming out in mid-November. Really, it's the handbook every homeowner should have received when they bought a home, right? It's a handbook for smart home ownership. Uh, it explains how to sort of proactively maintain your home, increase property values, how to identify and make smart renos. Uh, Reduce your monthly expenses, take advantage of debt, so how do you position your, your mortgage and your debt, and just how to live life as a happy homeowner regardless of what market you currently live in. Well, listen, Romana, always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Todd. Take care. Folks, when we come back, we'll have more, so stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Uh, my next guest joining me, uh, I've had him on the show before. It's been a little while, but I thought it was really important that we always talk about the legal aspect of real estate. And of course, you know what? Why not go to the head of Diamond and Diamond, Joseph Berlowski, joining me. And Joseph, welcome back to the show. Todd, appreciate you having me. Always great having you on. And, um, you know, lots going on in the real estate market and, and, you know, I do want to get your take on the last, I guess, 12 to 18 months, because I think there's been a, you know, quite a shift in your industry. I know, you know, in our industry, there has been a lot of DocuSign, a lot of different things going on. Tell us what the the last 18 months has been like during, uh, during the real estate world. You know, it's been a mixture of trying different things, and it's a mixed bag of results. That's really a lot of what we've seen. Definitely delays are very, very common and um, a little problematic, obviously. But I'd say that's probably the biggest change that we've seen. When when we talk about activity, you know, the one thing is is that we basically flatlined there for a few months, and then all of a sudden, 2020, around June, it started showing life. And since then... You know, we've just had this incredible rise in in the real estate world, not just from a price perspective, but just sheer volume. Are you are you seeing that in the marketplace? I mean, you know, the number of closings coming into the the main months, May, June, July. I would imagine at Diamond and Diamond, you're uh, you're very busy. Yeah, there's no doubt things have come roaring back. But again, you know, with all the COVID stuff, it's a little different. One of the things that we've noticed a lot is 
people not doing inspections, not even seeing the house sometimes. You get things like the fridge is now not working. The seller saying, well, it was never working. You just didn't come take a look. A lot of that and compounded with the with the volume is, uh, is an interesting mix. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, that's one of those uh, things that... You know, if if the if the agent is not putting in the right clauses in the offer, you know, I think it's still a good idea for obviously you to have a solicitor take a look at the offer because, again, making sure that all everything, all chattels that, and fixtures that are included into the property, we really do want to make sure that they're in good working order. Should they not have that clause all the time? Definitely, always good to have the clause. But it's probably one of the most contested clauses in the contract. It's very hard to prove after the fact that it wasn't in good working order on closing. The way it's worded, it's got to work the minute that it closes. And buyers aren't there the minute that it closes. They're there the next day, that evening, or whatever. And they have to prove that it was broken when they closed. So the utility of that clause uh, is not always as well received as we'd like. Now, when we when we talk about firm offers, um, you know, a lot of people are also stretching themselves financially, and which comes to my next question to you: Are we seeing many defaults? You know, power sales, people struggling on closing. Um, you know, back when when you and I had spoken, you know, back around 2017, uh, 2018, when a few of the new uh, government process was uh, instigated, such as when they put in the um, the uh, you had to qualify for uh, uh, you know a higher rate. Um, you know, one of the things that people were afraid of and what ended up happening was that they had to put more money down because they couldn't qualify. So when they put the stress test into place, you know, all of a sudden there was some defaults. Do you think we're going to see some defaults in the near future because of the rise in prices? I haven't seen too many defaults, but I've seen a lot of delays caused because of it. People aren't getting the financing they were expecting and they have to go borrow from family or friends. Often uh, when they get to the lawyer's office and we tell them how much the bank is giving them, they're very surprised about it. They have to go back to the broker, rework the deal, um, and that causes delays with closing. A lot of the problem, though, is shortages, I think, with bank staff. We find out about these issues too late because there's just no one on the other end informing borrowers and clients and buyers what the issues are and how to solve them. You know, and and I agree with you, you know, there's a bit of a lack of staffing or just, you know, the ability to be able to get back to people in, in a timely fashion. But what we have seen during the last, I would say, definitely the last 12 months, because we really did, you know, we really were kind of flatlined and then all of a sudden we had this huge surge into the marketplace. But one of the things that we've found is that even during a multiple offer process, you know, it's getting harder and harder. And and there's been a lot of mandates thrown out by some of the governing bodies. Would you, you know, when when we talk about um, the offer process and talk about auction style or, you know, more disclosures, a lot of people, you know, will trumpet the idea that, you know, obviously a seller has the right to sell their property, but buyers are left a little bit in the lurch when we talk about multiple offers. From a legal standpoint, is there actually something that makes more sense than how the old style transactional real estate is being performed? I've always said, I don't understand why any seller would want a firm offer. As a seller, your priority is to make sure the deal closes. And if somebody's going in without an inspection or without a financing condition to win the deal, that's a recipe for the deal not closing. As far as I'm concerned, let the buyer take a look and make sure that they're 100% going to close. I think the shift that a lot of good realtors recommend for their sellers, but when it's competitive, 
people just don't care. They just bid and, and they'll do whatever they can to get the house. Yeah, and that's that's. I mean, obviously, that's not the right thing to be doing. You know, people are putting themselves at risk, and you know, hopefully, you've got a voice of reason from the realtor that actually makes sure that you know the pre inspections are done, and uh, on top of that, making sure that they are qualified even to a higher amount. Because I know a lot of people will go in, and you know, the mindset is is that oh well, it's only fifty thousand dollars more. But what they don't realize is that they're already they were already going to their maximum, and all of a sudden now they're putting too much pressure on it. If uh, if we talk about you know the future of real estate, you know right now, obviously you you are very busy when you with the amount of deals that we're looking at, we should probably have a fairly steady year. The one thing is, is there any way that the process can be streamlined a little bit more? Do you think? We've definitely made some moves towards streamlining the process through uh, technology. It's all anyone talks about on the mortgage side, electronic processing of mortgages, streamlining. And yeah, I think that's the future. Realtors are more and more on the same kind of CRMs, the same kind of platforms. The old way of sending the deal to the lawyer, sending the amendment to the lawyer, sending the invoice off uh, and back and forth with updates by email or phone or whatever, I think that's going away and it'll be you know, an API. It'll be a digital link directly from the real estate office to the lawyer's office and that'll tie in with the mortgage office. I really think that's where this is all heading and that'll definitely streamline the process. Well, listen, Joseph, always a pleasure having you on the show. If any of our listeners would like to reach out to you at Diamond and Diamond, what is the best way for them to reach you? Joseph B at DiamondLaw.ca is my email. So Joseph, be like Bob at Diamond Law, or you can call the main line and just ask for Joseph. Well, listen, it's been a real pleasure catching up with you on the show, and I look forward to chatting with you in the future. Thank you. Appreciate it. Folks, that was Joseph Berlioski, and he is the head of real estate at Diamond & Diamond. When we come back, I've got Dave Butler joining me. We're going to have our kind of bi-weekly updates, find out what's going on with interest rates. Are they going up in the future? Well, you know what? Make sure you stay tuned because Dave's going to be joining me, and we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned, just before the break, my superstar mortgage broker is joining me, Dave Butler from BM Select, Butler Mortgage. And Dave, thanks for joining me today. Thank you very much, Todd. Always appreciate it. Well, you know, it's funny. You are back by popular demand. You know, every time you and I do a show, I got to tell you, you know, our board lights up saying, love Dave, you know, and I'm like, okay, we're going to make this the Butler Mortgage Show, you know, much better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so all uh, you know good uh, it's funny here i know i think uh, your producer would send me uh some messages and they were uh, very cool i i feel like i i feel like i've paid i've paid the, the listeners very well to give me the good compliments so. yeah excellent well you know what you earn it because you work hard the whole gang does and uh, obviously lots going on in the world of real estate but you know, a couple of things, and, and I don't know if we're going to consider them speed bumps, because I keep hearing, you know, it's more from the headlines. They keep talking about, oh, the market's softening, oh, the great, you know, change is coming. And I, and I kind of, I just want to scream at these people and say, it's summer, okay? People got to go outside and go to a patio. Of course, it's going to slow down a little. But everybody's going, that's it, the market's going to fall apart. What's your take on it? Uh, you know what? Same as you. I mean, uh, I think we all, most people that could use forward thinking, you know, this was, this was in a situation where everyone was locked down, you know, during the months where normally the market is not so hot, you know, which was earlier in the year. This actually ended up being quite a hot uh, 
off season for for mortgages and real estate. You come into the summer, restrictions are open. You know, restrictions have been lifted. People are getting out. But I would even say, I mean, you know, I I think this is where there's a misconception. People are looking at some of the activity earlier in the year and saying, wow, July and August look slower. If we were to take this July and August compared to last year's and any previous year, it's a record smashing June, July and August. Um, I got off the phone the other day with one of the higher ups at Scotiabank, um, and they had mentioned to me that June and July were the biggest June and July they've ever had in the history of their company. So it's all relative when you hear people talking about a slowing in the market. I don't believe it. Right. So, and and of course, when people are doing funding, and that's normally about a, you know, I'll call it a two month delay from the actual purchase time. You and I talked last month saying, you know what, and, and, you know, during July, you said, you know, still lots of files coming in, still lots of activity. Obviously, you know, you work with a lot of investor files, you're doing a lot of our files here for the simple investor, things like that. But ultimately, you know, you and I have watched cycles of real estate for the last 20 years. And typically, you know, I always tell people, um, it's hard to find a realtor typically during the summer because they normally take the summers off. You know, that's the slower time of the market. Most people have committed, if we're talking about residential housing, you know, everybody wants to be in before the school year. So that's where the closing uh, is happening. July, August, big closing months, obviously. And you back that up from the sale date. So you know what? Of course, we expect basically April, May, June to be the big months to sell, a little bit quieter, and then maybe a bit of an uptick in the fall. But one of the things that I need to talk to you about because, of course, you know, Mr. Trudeau decides that now is the time to do a snap election. Not even, not even a, like give us some runway, but, you know, let's throw our hat in and tell everybody you got to jump through hoops right now. Uh, let's get this thing done. You know, election coming into the, uh, in, in September. Are we going to see a bit of a, a slowdown in real estate because of the inconsistency right now in, in the government? Um, you know, it's funny. This is one of these weird things where, you know, there was no, as you and I know in the past 20 years, usually there's some political um, rhetoric or, you know, a situation put out there before something like this where they'll feel out to see how maybe um, increasing the stress test or implementing some weird government program like they did a while back. We didn't see that this time leading up to this. Uh, announcement of the snap election. So um, I think it's interesting to note that there seems to be um, kind of a different mindset on this. But I personally feel, and I think you and I have talked about this, that we thought 2021 would likely go back to more of a regular cyclical seasonal um, seasonality to it with real estate. I think last year was an anomaly. Generally speaking, as you have said, you know, you have your ramp up in the spring, which leads to large closings in the summer. And then you get usually the closings in September, October kind of slow themselves down. And they ramp down into into the winter. Um, we didn't have that last year. Last year, it was a rocket ship to the moon. Um, and it started in May and it didn't stop until probably, I would say, obviously, May, June, July of this year. So I think we might get that seasonality back. I think that's normal. I think it would be nice for us uh, in the industry to see that kind of normalcy come back. And uh, certainly I would, I would still say, even if we get our seasonality, which we're hoping for this year, I still believe the units are going to be way up um, compared to previous years. And uh, it will, but it would, I think a lot of people in the industry as well, appraisers, lawyers, real estate agents, mortgage people, everyone, the banks would like to see some type of easing because everyone's staff is running on fumes at this point. 
Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a good chuckle. So I hope you're sitting down for a second. Um, so, you know, we did talk about, you know, Trudeau hasn't really said much, but a couple of the, couple of his uh, opponents have. So uh, the NDP uh, party leader, Jagmeet Singh, uh, has thrown his hat into the real estate market, saying that if his party gets elected, they would build 500,000 homes and make housing affordable for Canadians, including rental prices. Mr. O'Toole, the Conservative Party, has also pledged to build homes to bid to you know bid against the combat of rising pricing. Dave, you know what? I'm really sick and tired of politicians talking about building anything. They they can't build Legos, let alone uh, you know a hundred thousand homes or fifty or five hundred thousand homes. You know they're saying they're going to do half of it within the first five years. Two hundred fifty thousand affordable houses in five years if they get their mandate. I, I, I just wish, you know, I don't think that political leaders should even weigh into the real estate world, even though we're talking about supply here. I think they just need to stop all narrative because it's a bunch of BS that never comes to fruition. Every single politician has always said, they're going to do this, they're going to do that, and we still have a housing issue. Well, I, it's, to, to me, it's funny. I am glad I'm sitting down because the reality is, is that uh, even if they were, and we know they won't, but even if they were to somehow meet their mandate of this amount of houses they want to put out there, uh, affordable housing, we all know that there's a massive backlog of Im- new immigrants waiting to come to this country that have already been approved. Um, the amount that these that these parties are mentioning that they will be bringing as far as housing, affordable housing, starts to the to the country. Uh, or to any provinces is not, I believe, will not even make much of a dent into the amount of people that will be coming into the country. And let's not, let's not, you know, mistake the fact that right now with no, very little to no new immigrants coming in, we have a housing supply problem. So when you do open up the, the, the immigrant doors and we have new people coming into the country, um, the amount of houses that these parties are saying that they will be uh, trying to uh, put back out there in the market, I just don't see how that's even going to give us any type of equilibrium. I, I, you know, and with you as well, uh, I don't believe I don't believe many of these politicians. A lot of this is is is, is broken promises. Yeah, and 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 affordability, and even to the fact that you know some of them are saying that they want to stop uh, the purchase by uh, foreign investors into the country for a couple of years to give a reprieve so that, uh, you know, buyers that are looking to buy properties. I just, I just think it's the wrong narrative, sends out the wrong message because there's not a chance that they're going to do it. Um, best thing I think the federal government should do, get rid of all the red tape, let the builders build, and you know what, we'll do it all by ourselves. We don't need their help. But um, Dave, I always appreciate you coming on the show. What is the best way for our uh, listeners to reach you? Well, they can certainly give us a shout at our office. It's one triple eight six eight four eight three two six, and they can also send us an email. Our email address is info at bmselect.ca, and uh, of course, we're happy to work with any of your listeners. And it's been great working with all your simple investor uh, clients and investors. It's just been fantastic. Excellent. Well, listen, Dave, thanks for joining me this week, and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Take care, Todd. Excellent. Thank you so much, folks. That was Dave Butler. Well, that's a wrap for this week, and uh, I hope everybody has enjoyed their weekend so far. You know what? Still got a few hours left to this Sunday, and um, I do want to thank my guests, Romana King, for joining me, Joseph Bielowski, and Dave Butler. 
great having a bunch of pros, you know, uh, weigh in on the different topics of real estate. And there's always so many, but I do want to thank Ian Grant. He keeps it simple for me each week as he normally does. And most importantly, I want to thank you for tuning in. Yep. You keep making us the number one real estate talk show. And uh, you know what? It's just something I just love to do, but guess what? I'm going to be back next Sunday as usual at noon with the real estate talk triangle, because that's the time of month it is. And, uh, that's it for this week. So I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.